0: Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we are going to be looking today at the first letter from the Apostle Peter. And um, we don't have time really in any of these podcasts to do these things justice but particularly with Peter's letters I think it is so cool to look back at the life of Peter and we know a lot about him you know among the apostles I don't think we know more about anybody than we know about Peter Um, and it's fascinating to match up some of the events in the life of Peter with some of the things that he writes to these Christians about and again we won't take time today to do a whole (laughs) life of peter podcast um we didn't take time to do a life of paul podcast i guess so. yeah <laughs> um but uh it's a really cool to think about the author of this letter and how his life and the way that jesus worked with him affects the way that he talks to these yeah. christians
1: and it, it really is cool in acts four um one of the things that says about peter and john that some people recognize that they were uneducated and untrained men and when you read first peter It's hard to call Peter uneducated, you know, because he is just... Every time I come back to 1 Peter, I learn something that I had not before. And I know you say that about all of the Bible. But specifically for me personally, 1 Peter is a letter that I come back to, and I'm like, wow, that's really beautiful. Either the way he put that or the way that that connects from something earlier in the letter... Um, there's just several really cool themes that we'll talk about here in just a second about Peter. It does help when you're writing by the Spirit. That, that does. That, uh, amen. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't want to overlook that whatsoever.
0: But it, the Spirit does use the personality of the ones that He's speaking through. Yes. It, and we see Peter come through. And it's going to be interesting to see even like some plays on uh, living stones and rocks in the in the. Um, This letter, because, of course, that Peter is a nickname that Jesus gave to Simon. Right. (laughs) And uh, he didn't start out as a rock. And I think that's one cool thing is remember um, in Luke's gospel, I believe it is, when Jesus is predicting that Peter is going to betray him. And he says, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And I love what he says, when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. That's right. And actually, not too long ago, uh, we had a class here on First Peter, and it was called that, like, when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. That was like the theme verse, because that's what Peter's doing mm-hmm. in First and Second Peter, is he is strengthening his brothers, even though he came to such a low point in his faith. He came back from that stronger and even more convicted. Yes. And so it's really cool to think about um,
1: what's going on in First Peter. Yeah, so like Stephen said, this is the apostle. First um, Peter 1, verse 1 starts off with Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so that's who we're talking about. But we also get a little bit into who his audience is. So this is also in verse 1. It says, To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So the first thing that we learn is that there are these aliens, uh, and it's kind of—I <laughs> know that sounds weird—but it's aliens as in strangers. You know, they're 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 pilgrims is the idea, right? They're they're not from here; they're from somewhere else. But. As all of us that are Christians, we still have places we physically reside here on this earth. The idea is is we're we're of another realm. We're we're of the heavenly realm. That's where we're planning to go. But these brethren are scattered throughout five regions throughout modern-day Turkey. And they're suffering. They're going through hard things. And they have need of endurance and hope, as many of the New Testament letters will, will say to the people they're writing to.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting is my Bible, instead of aliens, it has exiles. Oh, that's, that's um, to better. To those who are yeah. elect exiles. And what's going to be interesting to me is this actually becomes a theme in the letter. Is Exile is kind of a Bible-wide theme. If you go back to the Old Testament, um, not just the exile to Assyria and Babylon, but um, Abraham was in exile for mm-hmm. a while. Moses was in exile for a while. Learning to live in, in a displaced way. Where you're not at home yet. You're, 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 you're passing through. You're a pilgrim. I know other translations say pilgrims. Um, but that's a really cool idea. And that Peter is writing to Christians who are living in a world that they don't belong to. They are exiles. Even if they're in their own home country, <laughs> this world is not their home. And so he's going to pick up on that theme a few times through this uh, in, in, in chapter 1. He'll call them elect exiles in verse 1. In chapter 2, he'll come back in chapter verse 11 and say, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Mm -hmm. Oh, and sorry, I missed one in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 17 He'll say, um, if you call on him as father, uh, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Oh,
1: that's cool. Uh, which is cool. The ESV is consistent there, and I like that. That's yeah. good.
0: And I think, we'll get to this at the end. I think that his closing note, when he says, she who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, that he's still picking up on the theme of exile. Even though they're not literally physically in Babylon, necessarily. That That's this all exile imagery um, that... Babylon is where we all are because we're exiled from the promised land and we're headed there.
1: So that, that ties directly into one of the main themes there. As you're in exile, he's commenting also on the suffering that they're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of being an exile makes a lot more sense when you don't like where you are and what you're going through. And these brethren are going through persecution. They're going through hard things. And so one of the things Peter is going to say pretty over and over again throughout his letter, is that this suffering will only lead to future glory in Jesus Christ. And he comes back to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of that multiple times. And so that ties into the idea of having this living hope. And I believe we've talked about this in other podcasts, I'm sure we have, but the biblical hope is not some wishy-washy thing. It's not an idea of like, well, I hope I get this for Christmas where it's like, ah, I hope this happens, but you don't really think it's going to. That's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is true, living, this is what I know is going to happen. Confident
0: expectation.
1: Amen, well said. And so we'll come back to that idea several times throughout the letter. Yeah,
0: it's not wishful thinking, but confident expectation. And that's what these Christians need. We don't know a lot of details about Peter's audience other than the regions that they were living in. Again, modern-day Turkey. Um, you know, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. We do know a little more about the churches of Galatia because of the specific letter that Paul wrote to them. Uh, But this this is a totally different letter than kind of the context of the letter to the Galatian churches where he's writing specifically about, you know, the Judaizing teachers and all that was going on there. Peter is more writing generally to them and others about, listen, you're going to suffer, and we have to learn how to suffer well as a Christian. And so that's going to be a big theme. There will be another uh, section in the middle where he'll talk about submission and how that is a light to people when we walk in submission and the way that God has designed things to work. Um, So without further ado, let's jump in and um, start in chapter one. So Peter um, starts out with a blessing. And... um, He says in chapter 1, verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, one of the things in this letter we're going to see is that suffering and glory is just all throughout. And he's going to skipping down to verse six, he's gonna say, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's gonna constantly get them to measure the suffering of the present time against the glory that is coming. And the glory so far overshadows the suffering, even though the suffering is great. is That's what's going to get them through the things that they're going through, which, again, is just a background note, Um, Peter would have been writing probably around the time that Nero was Caesar. And if you know anything about Nero, um, this was a terrible time for Christians. Now, I don't know if some of the really terrible stuff had happened yet as Peter's writing, um, but... After the burning of Rome and everything, there's just going to be really, really rough times coming. And so Peter may be kind of writing as a preparation for some of these things and saying, hey, here's how you're going to get through this. You've got to have your focus ahead. You have to be looking forward to this salvation that's coming, to the glory that's coming, and that will get you through the suffering.
1: Perfect introduction to the next section in 113. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it'll talk about them being called to holiness. Uh, of course, he quotes there in verse 16 You shall be holy, for I am holy. God, that's God speaking there. God's people are called out. They are to be set apart. That's literally what the idea of being holy is to be different, to be pure not impure, set apart for the purposes of God. And that will be uh, an idea that's explored a little bit further in the book. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But God's people are to be set apart. Are we a holy people? Are we acting differently than the rest of the world in spite of everything that's going on around us, like these brethren here? Mm -hmm.
0: And it's really interesting to see here in chapter 1, he does this a couple of times, is he points out that what God has done for these Christians, for all of us, was something that started way back, is that God knew there were going to be hard things happening. And back in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, he talked about the prophets who predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glory to follow. And then he says again in chapter 1, verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was now manifest in these last times for the sake of you. Um, And God raised him from the dead. I mean, he died and then God brought him back. And so this theme of suffering and glory, he points out, this is not a new thing. This has been around since day one and God knew it was coming and he has given you what you need to make it through. And that, even though when we look at the world around us and it feels like everything is out of control, there is such strength in, in realizing, no, like God's actually in control. This may feel totally random. It may feel totally uh, discouraging. But if I can know, no, all of this is in God's plan. Uh, God is in control and he can get me through whatever suffering happens. It, it's powerful to think about. So I think that's really cool to see in this first chapter. And so he encourages them to be a light by loving one another in verse 22 through the end of the chapter and really into chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, he talks about the way that you treat each other, putting away malice and envy and hypocrisy. um, You are going to show people a better way in the midst of your exile. you're, You're in the midst of the nations and they don't know about God. They don't care about God. They're surprised that you're not doing what they're doing. If you are walking in love toward one another, and purifying your souls for a sincere brotherly love you are going to proclaim the excellencies of him mm-hmm. who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light like he said or uh, well, he will say in uh, chapter 2 mm-hmm. and so so much of what Peter is writing about is this call to holiness call to love be separate from them is so that the nations among whom you are scattered will see something different and When you suffer, they will see something different in you than they see from the world.
1: Um, So it's a powerful example. It's interesting. I was just looking through the section, just the focus on the word of God here as well. So you have it there um, in verse 23. It's through the living and enduring word of God. End of verse 25. And this is the word which was preached to you. And then in chapter two and verse two, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of a recurring theme there. I just picked up on. So, I've been
0: thinking a lot about that verse with our uh, baby that just arrived. Yeah, almost three and a half
1: weeks ago. Yeah, and long for the pure milk of the word. That's that's absolutely right. And I just really love the idea in verse three. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, that that idea. I realize in the context he's talking about. Um, longing for the pure milk of the word so you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. But tasting the kindness of the Lord should change you. When you taste something good, you want to take it and you want to share it with other people. You don't want to hoard it and keep it for yourself. And that really will be the idea leading into this next section as he goes on to discuss what, what God's new temple is, but also what its purpose is. Um, and we, we are his temple. We are this spiritual house that he talks about. So in chapter 2, uh, in verse four, he'll say in coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here we learn that we are God's temple. We are the spiritual house. He calls us a holy priesthood, coming back to that theme of holiness that we discussed in chapter one, mm-hmm. set apart for God's purposes just like it was in the Old Testament. It's true here in the New Testament, but we are the temple of God. That's right. And this section is really heavy on the Old
0: Testament references. Mm -hmm. Um, He's gonna pull from three different passages to talk about that Christ is our rock, uh, he's our cornerstone, and that we're being built on him. But he was rejected. And just like he was rejected, we are rejected by the world in which we are exiles. But God is taking the exiles and building them into his new spiritual temple to be a priesthood. Um, So he quotes from Isaiah 28. He quotes from Psalm 118. He quotes from Isaiah 8 and talks about how, look at what Jesus is. He is our cornerstone, but for other people, he's a stone of stumbling. So some people fall on him. Others are built up on him. And then he turns to some Exodus language in verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. That's a quote from Hosea 2.23. And the Verse 9 is a quote from Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, the first time God comes down on Mount Sinai and tells Israel that they're his special people. So many cool Old Testament references. But what Peter's doing here is, is he's pulling together this Old Testament imagery to tell these suffering Christians that you might feel like nobody. And to the world, you are nobody. But to the Lord. You are his special people. You are his holy temple. You're uh, kings and priests, you know, a royal priesthood. That's the idea. You're everything that God wants you to be, even though the world treats you like dirt. You are God's royalty, God's holy people. And so it's just really cool to think about
1: the contrast of who they are to God versus who they are to the world, and just by being these people of God, you're proclaiming something to the world. Uh, you the so that in verse nine is really important. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. There has been a fundamental change in you that the world sees as a result of God making you this special people for His own possession. So this, to me, was one of my favorite sections in First Peter because mm-hmm. there's you could just go down line by line and see what we're called to as God's people. Yes. And so he wraps
0: up this section, and I think it also introduces the next section, by saying, all right, you guys are sojourners and exiles, so now abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. He's also saying, you guys are in a war. Like, you're exiles, but you're also soldiers. So fight, and look at what he says in verse 12. Keep your conduct excellent, uh, excuse me, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Which is exactly what Jesus said. You know, uh, Let your uh, light shine in such a way that people will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, so Peter is echoing that and saying, Listen, you're exiles among the Gentiles, among the nations, and they're going to speak evil against you. But you live in such a way that they will glorify God in the end. You do what's right. You hold to your faith. And so he's going to then show one major way or several major ways that they can do that is through being submissive, which, again, is not like what what you would expect. Yeah, but It's like, nope, we're going to talk about submission to government first and then submission servants and masters And then chapter three, we'll go straight into chapter three, uh, submission in the home, husbands and wives. And it's like, wait, what? Like, I thought that we were supposed to be this great example of like leadership. Jesus came to serve. He came to suffer. And so he's going to use Jesus as the example in the middle of this next section to illustrate you are proclaiming God's excellencies by submitting. Yes. And by humbly serving other people. And and sometimes where no one else sees in the home. We're like nobody but God sees what you're doing.
1: But that's how you're proclaiming his excellencies is by doing this. Yes. And it's a similar thing we'd pointed out in the season we did on Ephesians. Paul is making some similar points over there. But the pivot that Peter uh, excuse me, the pivot that Peter's talking about and Stephen is talking about is really important to see. And we'll, we'll just zero in on a few of those. Like you said with the government, uh, Peter says in verse fourteen, um Uh, Or verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Can you imagine Peter saying that like Peter Stephen was pointing out earlier? Man, I got to get my name straight here you're Stephen, this is Peter. That's right. Sorry, Peter was pointing it out originally. Yes, uh, (laughs) but Stephen earlier in the podcast was pointing out that Nero was the leader of the day. I mean, can you imagine Peter knowing that is telling these brethren to pray for him and more so submit to him? Who are they really putting their trust in then if they're submitting to someone like Nero? They're putting their trust in God. That's who they're putting their trust in. And so this is just a, a cool thing to see Peter continually doing. Um, same for servants and masters, like Stephen was just pointing out. Uh, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good in general, but also to those who are unreasonable. Man, is that an encouragement we need to have? We might not have slave-master relationships in the same way, but boss and employee, I've certainly had bosses at times that I did not like or respect but we still need to submit. We're communicating something about God in that case. But yeah. smack in the middle, before we move to wives being submissive to their husbands, he gives the example of Jesus Christ, who his example serves to talk about not only suffering, but the submissive nature as well that we also need to have. Christ is the example that Peter points to in verse 21. Uh, "...who committed no sin, or was any deceit found in his mouth." And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We discussed at the beginning of the podcast just trying to picture Peter writing these words. And this, to me, had to be one of the the hardest things to write. Because we know in the gospel accounts, Peter saw Jesus being reviled and not reviling in return. This is something Peter saw with his own eyes. And while suffering, Jesus uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Peter, pinning these words, saw this in Jesus. How powerful is that as he writes these things down, saying we need to be imitators of them. Yeah, and like you mentioned a minute ago,
0: all of this flows from when we see Jesus' example and we're focused on the fact that God sees what we're doing. That's what gives us strength to submit, even when people are being irrational and unreasonable. Uh, it's interesting to see uh, in verse chapter 2, verse 15, he says, This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In verse 20, he says, well, If you do good and suffer for it, Excuse me, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And he'll say it one more time in the third section to the wives. He'll say in verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4 let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. We have to live for an audience of one. We have to know that God sees. The suffering that we go through he sees the good that we do even though we're mistreated for it and that's what makes it worth it we might not be repaid in this life but he sees it and he knows and there is a glory coming that will far repay uh, it's not worth comparing like paul says in romans eight to the glory that's coming is not worth comparing to the suffering that we're going through right now and so um, he encourages wives in chapter three be subject to their husbands and again He points out the power of your example, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Um, So again, over and over in this section, he's been saying if you will behave in the way that God's teaching you, it will be an example. It will be a light to people around you. He said it back in chapter 2, verse 12, so that as they see your good deeds, they'll glorify God. Um, He said it in 2.15, that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And he says it in chapter 3, that your husbands may be one without a word when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So we're doing it for God, but we're also doing it for the people around us who are in darkness, who don't know any better, and who need to see that there's a better way of living in God's world. And so all of these things are very personal, very profound. I mean, you know, we talked about Ephesians where he comes in and addresses some of these same relationships. He talks about husbands and wives, children and parents, servants and masters. Well, Peter has a similar section here where he talks about your your government and servants and masters and then wives and husbands. Um, And and it's really important to note that he addresses... um, but kind of both sides of things here, especially with wives and husbands. And he says, like, husbands, you need to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing mm-hmm. honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I mean, the way that we live in our marriages, the way that we live in our lives, affects our relationship with God. It affects our prayers. And so he points out here that these things may seem like just everyday, mundane things with the government with master-servant relationship, whether it's your job or whatever else, with your, your, your spouse. But this is the spiritual war that we're in. Uh, the way that we carry ourselves day in and day out is part of our service to God as we live as exiles in the world. So it's just cool to see how Peter makes the mundane part of the the
1: spiritual and the, the incredible um, as we see it uh, through God's eyes. And so... We already talked a little bit about the suffering of Christ back in chapter 2, but Peter is going to pick that back up in chapter 3 and verse 8, when he'll say, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Verse 8, stand alone, you're like, oh yeah, I need to be all these things. Peter's talking about that in light of suffering. When you're going through suffering, you need to be all these things. And I just want you to see how blunt Peter is with what suffering is and what the result of enduring through it is. Uh, in verse 9, we, he makes it clear that uh, if you if you get through this and give a blessing instead, you're going to inherit a blessing. Uh, he says in verse 14, if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed Um, and then he points to the example of Jesus verse 17 he says for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong for Christ also died for sins once and for all and so Peter just keeps coming back to going through the suffering is the right thing to do Uh, we can't avoid it but we have to face it head on and keep putting our trust in God and so this whole section keeps coming back to that that theme and through that idea
0: Mm Hmm. And there is a challenging part right in the middle of this discussion. At the end of chapter 3, um, he talks about Jesus. And I think that the flow of thought here is this is something that Jesus did for us. Uh, here's an example of how he suffered. It talks about that he was put to death in the flesh. And it talks about his resurrection later in the passage. And there's a lot of debate over what's, what happens in between that. You know, is this talking about something that happened while Jesus was dead? Or is this talking about uh, something that happened through Noah a long time ago where Jesus was present in the Spirit at that time? Um, I'm inclined to take that second view, but we won't get into the weeds on this right now. But I think the point of all this is he brings up the example of Noah in the context to say, Man, you, talk, you want to talk about feeling alone and suffering in the midst of a world gone wrong? Well, look at Noah. <laughs> wow, God rescued Noah. And he makes the comparison between the flood and baptism and says, baptism saves you now. Um, not the you know, removal of the dirt from the flesh, it's not the water is magic, but that when you appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus, baptism now saves you. Mm-hmm. And so there's a really important point to be made about baptism here, but in the parallel that he draws to Noah, but it flows right into chapter 4. Where he says, "Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking." And I think there's still some flood imagery going on in chapter four. We look at what he says in verse three: uh, "For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do—living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry." With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So he's saying, listen, this has been going on since Noah's days where the world is in this flood of sinfulness and they are shocked when you are different. Why aren't you running with us? Why aren't you doing this? Like, why aren't you going with the flow, so to speak? And again, the, the fact that he says like flood of debauchery, I think that there's kind of that imagery going on of like, well, you know what happened in that flood of debauchery is God brought an actual flood <laughs> and took him away. Judgment came. Judgment came. That's exactly right. And so don't run with them now because another judgment is coming. And, and it's going to be interesting. Peter really likes to go back to Noah. Um, he's going to use him as an example in 2 Peter 2. And then in 2 Peter 3, a big example of the final judgment is going to be parallel to the days of Noah when they didn't see the judgment coming. And here it is. So it's just cool to see that his way of motivating these Christians to suffer well is to say, You're not alone. Jesus suffered for you? And think about Noah. Like He's an example for you. And if God can bring men like that through it, then he can bring you through it as well. Even if they think you're
1: crazy, you hang in there. And because this this judgment is coming, he says in verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment, sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. There's some kind of a miscellaneous list of things he calls them to uh, prayer and love is one of those in verse eight hospitality without complaint is is mentioned in verse nine i love that be hospital to one another without complaint <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you don't need to be complaining about it and he calls them to think about the gifts that god has given them that they are being good stewards as the manifold grace of god the cool idea peter's presenting there is that any gift we have whether it be a physical blessing or some kind of spiritual thing uh we see that we can use it for the sake of glorifying God because it was by his grace we received that thing anyways. And doesn't that change every how you see everything you own and everything you have and everything God has blessed you with? Uh, God gave it to you anyways. Why don't you use it for his purpose and for his glory? Um, and so this, this after this list of encouraging them to, to be involved um, with their brethren and doing things for them, he ends with this, Manifesto really, that points to the suffering that happens through and in Jesus Christ and what happened to him um, and how that should directly change us. Um, He says in in verse 14, if you were reviled for the name of Christ, you were blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become the god of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, all uh, therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right.
0: And this is one of the places in the letter that I just think. It's worth mentioning to think about who's writing, Peter is the one who was ashamed of Jesus and you know in the courtyard when Jesus was on trial and he cursed and swore that he never knew the man. He did not suffer well and he failed miserably, but Jesus called him back <laughs> and put him into his service. and when you get to the book of Acts, You look at Acts chapter 3 and 4, how Peter and John were before the same council that condemned Jesus, and they say, we are not going to be quiet about speaking in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus. And then in chapter 5, when Peter and the rest of the apostles are beaten, and at the end of Acts chapter 5, it says in verse 41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name And then years later, Peter would write to Christians and say, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I just think that's really powerful to see the transforming journey that Jesus took Peter on. And now Peter can say, as one who has failed and then has gotten back up and has done well, to say, you do the same, Christian. I know what it's like to struggle with this, but by God's grace...
1: You can glorify God and suffer well. If there was a section where I think Peter stood up to write, I think this was the section. <laughs> where he had to stand up to write these words down because he's he he's very passionate about this. Because as Stephen pointed out, he lived it out himself. That's right. So in, in chapter five, uh, at a bit of a pivot, he'll go on to exhort the elders. But it is cool if you've ever noted the way Peter says this in first peter five one therefore i exert the elders have been exert i exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of christ um he calls himself a fellow elder a fellow shepherd uh, peter was a shepherd in the lord's church um there's speculation on what congregation that was but it's neither here nor there for this for these purposes but paul or excuse me peter is able to write to the elders of these churches as a fellow elder he, he has served in this capacity. And so he'll tell them to shepherd the flock of God among you and to not do it under, uh, not have their oversight be under compulsion, but voluntary according to the will of God and not for sort of gain, but with eagerness. So this role of shepherd that we've talked about in other podcasts is to be one that a man does excitingly and willingly and does it with eagerness. And the congregation needs to submit to him um, in those moments.
0: Yeah, this is kind of interesting. This is almost a bonus submission section because <laughs> he talked about kind of ways that you suffer and submit in chapter 2 and 3 with the government and citizen, masters and servants, husband and wife. And that's particularly in the context of unbelievers, that you may well be in those you know, relationships with unbelievers. But here he talks about submission among God's people, uh, submission to the authority that God has put with the elders or shepherd or overseer. This is one of the cool passages that uses all three terms in the same Mm -hmm. context. Uh, He's an elder, but then in verse two, he says, shepherd the flock and exercise oversight. Mm -hmm. And they're the same three terms you'll see over in Acts 20. So it helps us to see this This is different names for the same role. Mm
1: -hmm. And he points to the chief shepherd in verse 4. That's Um, right. When he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Which, as a side note, uh, if you
0: back up to chapter 2, verse 25, when he says, you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer Mm -hmm. of your souls. Those are two of the same words that Jesus is the chief shepherd, the chief overseer. It's Mm kind of cool to see that. And so he wraps up. The letter with these encouragement, this is encouragement to humble yourselves. God is watching. And even though you are submitting, that's part of humbling yourself. Even though you are suffering, that's part of humbling yourself. He says in 5 or 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. God's the one who sees what you're going through. And how humiliated you are at times. But he will exalt you at the right time. Trust in him. Live for him. Serve him. And that will make all the difference. And so he talks about the devil who's prowling around looking for someone to devour. Which that's exactly what Peter was told, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And he's saying, watch out. I know of all people that Satan is after us trying to get us to sin. But you resist him, firm in your faith, and know that you're not alone. I love this encouragement at the end. Verse 9, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And he wraps up by saying this, After you have suffered a little while, just a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever amen amen that's just a wonderful way to encourage these christians to hold fast to suffer well and he reminds them it's just going to be a little while he bookends the letter with that he said that back in chapter 1 verse 6 Though now for a little while if necessary you've been distressed by various trials and he wraps up at the end saying after you've suffered a little while god's going to exalt you it's going to be
1: all right yes so, a few personal notes toward the end through Salvanus, uh, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Verse 13 She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Um, Babylon, I believe, is just a general reference uh, to Rome as a whole. Babylon was the place. Kind of commonly known as the place of captivity, the the ruling empire in the Old Testament. And so I think it's possible Peter's borrowing some similar imagery for these. the exile theme coming back. Exactly. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. And so just a very common ending uh, for some of these letters we've been getting into for grace and peace. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Lord willing, next week, we're going to continue in Peter's letters. The only other one we have is 2 Peter. It's only three chapters long, and so we're actually going to pair it up with the book of Jude, um, which is just a single chapter. And so, Lord willing, we'll talk about those two books next week yeah thank you for listening if you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast please subscribe leave us a
0: rating or a review so we can reach more people if you'd like to study the bible with us we'd love to answer your questions or get into a book of the bible reach out to us, 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or for more information on local studies and worship uh, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com thanks so much for listening